Well, hi there. It's Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on EWTN Radio. I am Jerry Usher along with Debbie Giorgiani. Our producer, Michael Birchfield, is in place. And uh, today's show, normally uh, the show revolves around you and your takes and your insights and your lived experiences. But this is a uh, pre-recorded show because the uh, studios of EWTN are closed today. But we're going to be talking about celebrating Independence Day. And and, uh, Debbie, we're also going to be taking a real hard, long, I think, deep look at our country, our nation's history, and a lot of the things that are going on right now that really, quite frankly, threaten that independence, that freedom that we have. Absolutely. And we like to keep you informed because you are the Take-Two family. And we want you to be aware of things that are happening all around you. So we bring in um, some experts, and and this is a special broadcast, and we're going to be uh, talking with him shortly. And it's going to be a very interesting, I know, discussion. Uh, We're going to learn a lot. We're going to walk away with some uh, different thoughts about things. And that's what Take-Two is all about. So please, if you can, stop what you're doing and listen to the entire broadcast so that you may become fully fully aware of what's happening right in front of our eyes. And actually, Jerry, as I turn on the news um, just this morning, it's just shocking. I mean, the world is literally changing right in front of us. And it, 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 may, it leaves a very unsettling feeling in, in all of us. I, I can only imagine what people are feeling. And I know I'm feeling that way. And it's really, it's troubling. But if you have the knowledge behind it of what's really happening, there maybe are, there's steps that you, we can do as a, a body of believers um, in prayer and, and also in proper action to maybe, um, you, know, uh, you know, combat a lot of this and make it right. So this is an important broadcast. Please stay tuned in. You took the word out of my mouth. I was going to say this may be one of the most significant shows we've done, certainly in a long time. Uh, As you know, we rarely, if ever, have guests on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie, but because it is a pre-recorded show, we have invited Dr. uh, Doctor. (laughs) We've invited William Federer, a nationally known speaker, best-selling author, and president of AmeriSearch Incorporated, a publishing company dedicated to researching America's noble heritage. Bill's American Minute radio feature is broadcast daily across America and and by the Internet. His Faith in History television airs on the TCT network on stations across America and via DirecTV. And Bill has been involved in dozens and dozens of television, radio interviews, and print publications. And Bill Federer, welcome to the program. I just just tried to make you a doctor. Are you a a Ph.D.? I, I have a couple honorary doctorates, but uh, but, uh, thank you anyway. Uh, But Debbie and Jerry, great to be with you. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. And I think a, a, a good place to start here would be in this in this short opening segment, Bill, is just taking a look. Give us a brief summary of the founding of our nation, you know, our, our independence uh, being under God, ruled by and for and, and the people. And, you know, people don't wake up one morning and say, hey, hey I've got a great idea. I'm going to go across the ocean and start a new country. There were reasons why the people came here and started and, and set up our country the way that they did. Right. So I did a book called Who is the King in America? And I do an overview of world history. So writing was invented around 3300 B.C. Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets in the Mesopotamian Valley. Today, that's Iraq. And um, from the now, if you think of it, three or four thousand B.C., we're around 2080. That's around five or six thousand years of history, which is not that long. You think of it, six thousand years is just 60 people living 100 years each back to back. We've all met someone who's lived 100 years, maybe a grandmother. We're talking 60 grandmothers, and you're all the way back to the beginning of recorded human history. Anyway, now that we have records, let's look at them. 
what do they show? Well, they show there's Nimrod, Tower of Babel, and 2,000 years of pharaohs, and kings of Assyria, and Babylon, and Chinese emperors, and Indian maharajas, and Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Till the Hun, Genghis Khan. The most common form of government is a king. And uh, it's a hierarchical system. If you're friends with the king, you're more equal. If you're not friends with the king, you're less equal. And if you're an enemy of the king, you're dead. It's called treason or you're a slave. And so, uh, the, and the dilemma is it's in each of our own fallen, selfish human DNA. St. Augustine called it libido dominandi, the lust to dominate. So you have Cain kill and Abel. You, you put some babies in a playpen, one will take the rattle. You put some kids on a playground, one is the bully hogging the ball. You put some junior high girls in a clique, and one of them is the diva. You put some people in the woods, one of them is an Indian chief, and you put them in an inner city, one of them is a gang leader. And, and all the king is is a glorified gang leader. Anyway, uh, so this, this push to concentrate power, in, in a sense, to sort of rebuild the Tower of Babel, you know, God scattered it, but then everybody keeps wanting to reconcentrate. It it it, uh, it gets bigger each rendition, each time it comes around, because with military advancements, you can kill more people. So instead of Cain killing Abel with a rock, now you can kill with a bronze weapon or an iron weapon or a big, long, phalanx spear the Greeks had or a scimitar sword or gunpowder. The weapon changes, but all it just is magnify what's in a person's heart. And with technological advancements, you can track more people. So Julius Caesar wanted to track everyone. He called it a census, right? Uh, and I guarantee if he could have had, you know, the... The Chinese, you know, with their social credit and their cameras everywhere. And, you know, uh, he would have utilized that. And so um, uh, the king of England was the most powerful king that planet Earth had ever seen. He was a globalist, like a one world government guy. Uh, he controlled Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, British Guyana, I India, a quarter of the world's population and America. And America's founders decided they didn't like this globalist king telling us what to do. Sun never sat on the British Empire. And so our founders flipped it and made the people the king. So it's a polarity change in the flow of power. Instead of top down, it's bottom up, ruled by we. And then I go through where they got these ideas from the mostly the New England pastors. Where did they get, they get their ideas from the Bible? What part of the Bible? Actually, that first 400-year period when Israel came out of Egypt, before they got King Saul, it was an anomaly. Here you have a, a nation with millions of people and no king. And it worked because each citizen was taught the law. It's like everybody downloads a behavioral app on their iPhone. Instead of a GPS telling you where to turn, it tells you how to act in real time, right? And the Levites were the computer geeks that help you to download this app. Everybody had it memorized in their heart, line upon line. And then why did you follow it? Well, everybody's accountable to a God who is everywhere. He's watching you. He wants you to be fair. And this God's going to hold you accountable in the future. So you're about to steal. Nobody's around. And then you think, God is watching me. He wants me to be fair. He's going to hold me accountable. Maybe I should hesitate stealing. And it creates something in your head called a conscience. If everybody Bill, if you, believes this. If you can hold that thought just for a second. This is fascinating. And I apologize for that. We have this short little break right here. So when we come back, I really want you to pick up right where you are. Because this is, this is important stuff that we're listening to here today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. Bill Federer is with us, a nationally known speaker, best-selling author, and president of AmeriSearch. And we're talking about the, uh, the founding, the roots of our nation, our independence, which we are celebrating here this weekend. And so be uh, continuing the conversation with Bill Federer when we come back on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie.
Thank you for being with us on this special pre-recorded broadcast of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie, prepared just for you for Independence Day. So no calls, please. We have a special guest that we are talking with. And so we're going to let our guest, Bill Federer, pick up where he left off and uh, share with us a, a very interesting history lesson that we should all be paying attention to. So Bill, maybe rewind just about 10 seconds and, and take it away. Well, thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Jerry. Um, so the, the kings is the most common form of government in world history. And it's like a pyramid structure to society. If you're friends with the king, you're more equal. If you're not friends with the king, you're less equal. You're an enemy of the king, you're dead. It's called treason. And, and all the kings claim to be divinely appointed. Um, and uh, it's it, interesting um, that uh, you know people groups transition from hunter-gatherers to agriculture when you study ancient history. And uh, the Bible talks about Adam and Eve plucking the fruit off the tree. And then they had Cain was a tiller of the soil. So once people, people groups moved to agriculture, they needed to know when to plant the crops. And so they needed to keep track of the seasons, which means they needed to keep track of the stars. And so they would build big immovable structures to observe the stars. And then somebody, Stonehenge, ziggurats, pyramids, and then somebody got to climb up the building, look at the star and come down with the, the secret knowledge from heaven as to when to plant the barley. And when to plant the oats and it, it, it's right. And so it, it turned into this person claiming to be a divinely appointed intermediary between the heavens and these lowly people down below. And so the Assyrian Babylonian kings were king priests. The, the Egyptian pharaohs were son of the god Osiris. The Chinese emperors claimed they had a mandate from heaven. The Incan emperors claimed to be delegates of the sun god. But they Christianized it in Europe and called it the divine right of kings. So the king didn't believe everyone was created equal. He believed he was created a little extra special. And if you didn't believe exactly the way he tells you to believe, he'd burn you at the stake. <laughs> and so that's why the pilgrims uh, began to flee to Holland then fled to America. And it was this emphasis on conscience that your worship of God is only pleasing to God if it's voluntarily given. Uh, God made you a spirit, mind, and body. He wants to appeal to your mind. He wants to appeal to your heart and have you make a decision. That, you know, love is a, is a response that's not forced. It's got to be voluntary. Uh, William Penn founded Pennsylvania, and he says, force makes hypocrites, tis persuasion only that makes converts. Anyway, so um, the the idea in Europe was whatever the king believed, the kingdom had to believe, and if you didn't, you were persecuted. And so England was Anglican, Scotland was Presbyterian, Holland was Dutch Reformed, Northern Germany and Sweden were Lutheran, Switzerland Calvinist, Italy, Spain, France, Austria, Poland remained Catholic. And uh, again, people would migrate and have religious wars. Well, those are the ones that spilled over and founded colonies in America. And so if you look at the history, and I've read through every charter of every colony, and then I read through every state constitution for all these states, and I guess I have trouble sleeping, but I, I found something really interesting. Every colony was founded by Christians, but a different denomination. So Virginia was an Anglican colony from 1607 up until 1786. And it was mandatory membership of the Anglican faith. Otherwise, you were persecuted. Uh, mandatory taxes to support the Anglican faith. And you could not hold office unless you were an Anglican. The first Catholic church in Virginia was 1795. Uh, why? Because it was illegal to have one prior to then, right? Um, and then Massachusetts was a Puritan colony. And you had to be Puritan. They not only, you know, uh, it burnt some some witches, uh, Quakers. There were four Quakers that they killed because, and, and then New York was originally a Dutch Reformed colony. And then Delaware and New Jersey were originally Swedish Lutheran colonies. 
And Connecticut and New Hampshire were congregationalist Christian colonies. And then Maryland was a Catholic colony. And, uh, and guess what? They didn't always get along and they would tar and feather each other. But then the revolution starts and they have to work together against the King of England. And so I guarantee if the if a couple of them could have gained independence on their own, they would have, but they needed each other. And so there was one Catholic that signed the Declaration of Independence, Charles Carroll. Charles Carroll was the richest man in Maryland. And uh, Maryland was founded by Catholics, but then the... Uh, the Puritans were chased out of Virginia, so the Puritans founded Annapolis, Maryland, and the next year they came down to St. Mary's at the Capitol, and they sacked it, and uh, and then they instituted laws to disarm Papists, <laughs> and if a man dies and his widow married a Catholic, the state would take the children away from the family, and so that's when you began to have uh, Charles Carroll's uh, uh, father uh, corresponding with the King of France, saying, hey, you have the Catholic Louisiana Territory. How about we move all the Catholics from Maryland to Louisiana? And they were just about to do that when the revolution starts. And uh, uh, Charles Carroll said, observing the Christian faith divided into so many different sects, S-E-C-T-S, gave me the assurance that no one sect would become so predominant as to become the religion of the state. Thus, I jealously entered into the revolution along with many others. So it was like a free market. It was like, because there's so many different denominations, they're all vying for converts and they're gonna sort of cancel each other out. So no one of them will become a monopoly like you know, King Henry VIII in England who killed Sir Thomas More, uh, who was Catholic. You know? And so that was uh, the attitude. Uh, and so when the British are, you know, had taken over Boston and some of the Connecticut soldiers were gonna do their annual uh, burning of the Pope in effigy, Right. Uh, they they did this. And so George Washington says, OK, stop, stop. Uh, we're not going to burn the pope in effigy anymore. We have Catholics working together with us against the British. <laughs> and so um, you had um, uh, John Carroll was um, the first bishop in America, and uh, he helped support uh, George Washington. And of course, he's the one who founded Georgetown University. Um, but uh, he went with uh, Franklin uh, up to Canada to try to talk Canada into joining. Um, Canada obviously didn't, but uh, this idea was, hey, we need to work together. Um, and, uh, and so after the revolution, uh, now the attitude changed to, we may not always agree on religion, but you were willing to fight and die for my freedom. I need to let you practice your faith. And so there's a letter from John Carroll to the, you know, the Vatican staff. And he said, prior to the revolution, uh, Catholics only had freedom in two states, <laughs> you know, Pennsylvania, uh, founded by William Penn and uh, in Maryland uh, to a certain degree. And, um, and he's, but he says, but after the revolution, the, the, the freedom has spread. And so, uh, so now you have um, different states at different speeds were um, expanding religious freedom. And so I read through every uh, every state constitution. Nine of the original state constitutions required office holders to be Christian, but not just Christian, Protestant Christian. So North Carolina's state constitution, 1776, that all office holders had to be Protestant. New Jersey's had to be Protestant. Uh, Georgia had to be Protestant. Um, three states were liberal, and they said all you had to do was be a Christian, which allowed Catholics to hold office. One was Pennsylvania. Ben Franklin signed the Constitution that said um, 
All you had to do to hold public office was to believe in God, the creator and governor of the universe, rewarder of the good, the punisher of the wicked, and acknowledge these scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. And so, gee, you, anyone could be a Protestant or a Catholic and say, I believe in the divine inspiration of the Old and New Testaments. And then you had Delaware. Its original 1776 constitution said all office holders had to make a declaration of belief in God the Father, Jesus Christ, his only son, the Holy Ghost, one God, bless forevermore. Um, and you think, gee, they were really narrow-minded. You had to believe in the Trinity to hold office in Delaware? No, 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 that was really liberal because you could be a Catholic or a Protestant and say, yeah, I believe in Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then there was one state that had zero religious requirements. It was uh, Rhode Island, founded by Baptists. And they said that if you required someone uh, to be a Christian, they may say they were even if they weren't, and that would be hypocritical. And so we're not going to require it. Just vote for the best Christian person you know. So 98% of the country was Protestant at the time of the founding, 1% Catholic and about a 1% Jewish and, and others, or one-tenth of a percent Jewish. There was only seven synagogues in the whole country at the time of the founding. So 3 million people, about 30,000 Catholics and about you know 3,000 Jews. Uh, and then you have an Irish potato famine and millions of Irish Catholics die and millions come across to America and the Catholic percent goes from 2% to 20%. And states begin to change their constitutions and switch from requiring you to be a Protestant to just being a plain Christian. And, uh, and then there's a persecution of Jews in Bavaria, and they come across. And then they went ahead and expanded. So, so Maryland is interesting. Maryland's original constitution was one of those liberal ones. It said all you had to do was be a Christian. Um, but then in 1851, uh, they added that all office holders had to be Christian. And if the party shall profess to be a Jew, the declaration shall be of a belief in a future state of rewards and punishments. And then in 1864, they changed it again. You had to be a Christian or just believing in the existence of God. And then they changed it again to say, all you had to do is believe in God. And so you can drop a pebble in the pond, the ripples go out. You, so you see these colonies, it starts off with the denomination that started the colony. Uh, then it went out to all the Protestants, then the Catholics and the Jews, and then finally went out to tolerate the, the atheists. And the last ones in decided to kick the first ones out. So everybody's tolerated in America, except uh, the people with the Bible Christian, you know, Judeo-Christian faith that started the country. Um, and now we're inviting in uh, different religions that have a track record of wiping out Christianity. And so I did a whole book on the, the history of Islam. People forget uh, Egypt used to be Christian for six centuries. Uh, until, you know, Amir ibn al-As and the Muslims warriors came in. Syria was completely Christian for six centuries uh, until Caliph Umar conquers it. Um, you know, Constantine had be converted, became a Christian, and his mother, St. Helena, went to Jerusalem, and she built all these churches. And, and so Jerusalem was a Christian city from, you know, 313 A.D. all the way up until Caliph Umar conquered it. And, and then there used to be 250 Catholic dioceses along North Africa. St. Augustine of Hippo was from Carthage, and then that became Tunisia. And then um, what is today Turkey used to be the Byzantine Christian Empire. So all seven churches mentioned in the Book of Revelation, uh, Apocalypse, all seven of those were wiped out by the Muslim Turks. And then finally they conquered Constantinople. And, um, and then you have um, the, the cutting off of the land routes to India in, in 1453. And so that's when Columbus set sail looking for a sea route. Um, anyway, it's a fascinating history. And then you have the King of Spain. Uh, he is the defender of Europe. He's the Holy Roman Emperor. 
And so he's taken the gold from the new world to fit out his Navy, to stop the Muslims, Turks from taking over. And whenever the Muslims would come into a, a city, uh, they would just, just pull down the statues. They would destroy the churches. They would destroy the libraries. They would, they, the, all the graves, Muhammad said, leave no high grave standing, nor a work of art without obliterating it. And, and so we would see this, this idea that you want to erase the memory that the people had and implant, you know, this Islamic memory. And um, so now we're seeing that uh, supplanting in Europe and then coming into an America. So, so America, we've gone from the denomination that started the colony, uh, then the Protestants and the Catholics and the Jews, and then finally the atheists, and now uh, to faiths that have a, an anti-Christian aspect to them. And um, anyway, uh, I've sort of talked to a, a, a long history there, but um, but we we appreciate the fact that America pioneered this tolerance. It wasn't the European, it wasn't the Ottoman Turkish emperor that advanced tolerance. It wasn't the, the India, it wasn't, you know, Chinese emperors. It was in America. We came up with this experiment that your worship of God is only pleasing to God if it's voluntarily given. So we're going to take off the government mandates. But it wasn't because we want to erase, uh, you know, God and erase Christianity. It was because they wanted the freedom of conscience so that you're worship of God could be voluntarily given. Yeah, fascinating indeed. Bill Federer is with us. He is a nationally known speaker, best-selling author, and president of Amerisearch Incorporated. It's a publishing company dedicated to researching America's noble heritage. And this is Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. As we get set to celebrate, hopefully, God willing, let us celebrate our independence, which is coming up tomorrow on Independence Day and we invite you to uh, listen to the rest of the broadcast and enjoy it. We're not taking phone calls right now. And Bill, I wanted to ask before we go to our next uh, thought here, how can people find your your books and, and the other works that you've done? Because I'm sure there are a lot of people listening right now who say, I want to learn more from this man. Well, thank you. Uh, my website is AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. I send out a free daily history email with all the these different stories in it. Um, I had a, a new book called... Uh, Miracles in American History, and it's stories from the Revolution, uh, the War of 1812, where there's a crisis. They pray, and the Continental Congress even had days of fasting. Uh, and then a, a fog would come in and allow Washington's army to escape, or rivers would rise, blocking the British from chasing the Americans after the Battle of Cowpens. And uh, it's just a fascinating book. Um, and uh, anyway, have um, uh, you know women leaders, black leaders, you know, it's sort of everybody that contributed to help make this uh, experiment of America work. Well, it's fascinating. We've got about literally a minute and a half before our next break, but just to kind of bring what you've already said, you know, kind of put a little bone ribbon on top of that. We've seen God being pushed out of our culture, out of our country, our education, you know, uh, entertainment, Hollywood, and every sector. Uh, this seems to be uh, apparently from what you're saying, kind of the, the end game of those who have been trying to, uh, get in or infiltrate or whatever, and just si simply tell God, get out of your country, get out of your world. Is that is that kind of where we are right now today? Yeah, yeah. I trace, I just finished a new book on socialism, and I trace how the pilgrims went from a covenant, which is rights from God, accountable to God. Uh, and in the next century, covenant turned into social contract. And it was people in agreement with each other, uh, with a distant God. If he's there, he's impersonal. And this came from the scientific revolution where they discovered laws of planetary motion, laws of gravity. Maybe God made laws and just saw it wind up a clock and let it run. Well, in the next century, turned into social contract intentionally without God with the French Revolution. 
and they were wanting to, to make 1792 the new year one because they don't want to go back to year of the Lord. And, and so so that the French Revolution was a social contract with no God. In the next century, it turned into Marxism and socialism, where the state is God. Mm-hmm. You get your rights from the state, you're accountable to the state. And if the state doesn't think you're pulling your weight, then you die. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bill, hang on, because this is going in a, a great direction. I think a very important episode of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. Debbie, will have another question for Bill Federer when we come back. Our thanks to Michael Birchfield, our producer today. You are listening to Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on EWTN Radio. Stay with us. Well, we sure hope you're getting a lot out of this discussion that we have prepared for you for Independence Day. It's a pre-recorded broadcast. We have a special guest on, Bill Federer, and you can find Bill in his fine works at AmericanMinute.com. So if you want to learn more about what he is uh, sharing and uh, kind of go have a more in-depth study of it, I would we would very much encourage it um, because knowledge is power and it's very important. No calls today. We're just um, talking with Bill and figuring out how we can all conduct ourselves um, as as citizens of this great nation and what we can do um, to learn more about what's happening right in front of us. So, Bill, in this final segment of this uh, an amazing uh, pre-recorded broadcast for our Take Two family, uh, just kind of if you can explain, you know, there's a couple things that our listeners have been asking about um, for the past couple weeks. And, they, you know, just recently we heard that the... Um, the uh, Mississippi House, um, they voted to remove the last uh, Confederate emblem that's on a state flag. And um, there's this, this real big push for scrubbing history and maybe even rewriting history. And now just recently it came up that people are actually uh, raising the the um, the concern about the Constitution and maybe we should rewrite some of that and all sorts of things. And it's it's really um, troubling for us to kind of accept this and digest this and make sense of it because what does this mean for us right now? And what does it mean for our children and the future generations? Are they even going to know even an ounce of of what patriot, patriotism means and, and, and what it means for all of us, the, the, the study of it. So if you can maybe kind of tackle, I know that's a lot to do in, in just a few short minutes, but maybe if you can tackle all of that, it would help all of us to know how we are to move forward. Right. Well, it's a uh, tactic called deconstruction. Deconstruction is where you separate people from their past, get them into a neutral where they do not remember where they came from, and then you brainwash them into the future you have planned for them. It's, it's a sales technique. If I was a toothpaste salesman, the first thing I do is say negative things about the toothpaste you're currently using. You're still brushing with that old stuff. Don't you know it'll eat the enamel off your teeth and dry out your gums? You're like, ooh, really? You're repulsed by it. Now I got you into a neutral. You're open-minded. What are all the toothpaste out there? And then I can give you my pitch for this tar-controlled breath freshener enamel strengthening stuff, right? And so that's what they do. They go into the classroom and they tell the kids negative things about the founding fathers. They took land from Indians, sold people into slavery. They were chauvinists. Ooh, the students are repulsed by them. Now you got the kids into a neutral. They're open-minded. What are all the belief systems out there? Then you give them your pitch for socialism or LGBT or Islam. Now, the founding fathers, they had faults, but they gave us a present. And that present is we get to be in charge of our lives. The word citizen means co-king. So you get to decide who you want to marry, where you want to live what clothes you want to wear. You don't have to wear a burqa. You know, you can eat pork if you want to, right? You get to decide all these things for your life. Um, and then uh, all of us together get to decide the direction of the country. 
So kings, like in Europe, kings have subjects who are subjected to their will. You do what the king says or they kill you. Communist countries have communist dictators like Kim Jong-un, you know, in North Korea. And you do what the communist dictator says or he kills you. Uh, in America, we flipped it and the people are the king. So our founding fathers, for all their faults, they gave us a present. And that present is you get to be the king of your life. And then together, we're the king of the country. I tell people, imagine if somebody wants to give you a million dollars. Would you stop them and say, hey, have you ever done anything bad in your life? Because if you have, I don't want to take your present. It's like, well, what if I, I'm sorry that I did bad stuff, you know? you know? And so our founding fathers, yeah, uh, some of them, they started off uh, owning slaves, but then they read Anthony Bezanet, who was a Quaker, and he's the one who began the abolitionist movement. And and after they read it, like Patrick Henry says, I can no longer defend slavery after I read it. And then he moves to outlaw the importation of slaves into Virginia, and he begins to change. And, and so, uh, you know, uh, what we do is we say, um, hope, the Bible says that it's in Ezekiel, if somebody's doing bad things and then they repent and start doing good things, all their bad things are forgotten and forgiven, right? And so it's the direction that you're headed, not the, the things you've accomplished. And, um, uh, and so, so here we got uh, this deconstruction tactic, this erasing of the history. It's sort of like gene therapy for a culture. You know, you, instead of taking out the old DNA and you put in a new DNA, you take out the memory the, the identity of the people, and then you put in a new identity. Uh, and so um, we see that uh, Islam does this. Whenever Islam comes into a country, they uh, destroy. In 836 AD, right around then, 11,000 Muslims invaded Rome, Italy, and they trashed the Basilica of St. Peter's, and they trashed the bones of St. Peter, and then they went to St. Paul's outside of the wall of the church and they trashed the bones of St. Paul. It was after that that Pope Leo decided to build a 39-foot wall around the Vatican to protect them against these Muslim uh, raiders, right? Uh, and, but you see, when they come in, they want to trash the history, trash the memory, um, because they want to, you know, they, they conquered um, Constantinople. The largest church in the world for a thousand years was the Hagia Sophia. 165 feet high, 102 foot across dome, four acres of gold mosaics. They cover them all with whitewash and Quran verses. And so they want to supplant. They feel like their beliefs are superior. Now, it's not just Islam, uh, China. Uh, they had uh, the warring states period. And then a, a emperor named Qin Shi Huangdi, uh, he started the, the Han Dynasty. And he united these empires and he was being criticized because he was doing things differently than those conquered kingdoms had done for centuries. And so they were criticizing him and he, he, he got tired of being compared to the way things were done in the past. So he decided to destroy the past and he destroys the classics of history. Anybody caught with the classics of history will be uh, killed or tattooed or build, sent to build the Great Wall of China. And the classics of Chinese history would not have survived had they not been buried in tombs of previous Chinese emperors, right? And so Mao Zedong followed his example. And he says, okay, we're going to have a cultural revolution and we're going to destroy Chinese culture because we're going to do something new called the People's Republic of China. And so the French Revolution did this. Uh, I mentioned that they they didn't want done in the year of the Lord, so they made 1792 the new year one. Uh, they didn't want a seven-day week in France because it went back to the Bible. So they came up with a 10-day week. They called it a decade week. Each day had 10 hours. Each hour had 100 minutes. Each minute had 100 seconds. 
They said 10 was the number of man, right? You count with 10 fingers. And so they made every measurement in France divisible by 10. They called it the metric system. But then they tore down, uh, they, they, Robespierre put a prostitute in Notre Dame Cathedral, covered her with a sheet and said, this is the goddess of reason. We're going to worship her. And so they turned cathedrals into temples of reason. And they had all kinds of sexual immorality and so forth. And then they um, uh, killed priests and ministers and those who harbored them. Whole entire orders of nuns. They would bring them to the guillotines and they would be singing songs as they're going up. And one by one, they'd get their head chopped off till the last one is singing and she got her head chopped off. I mean, it was an intentional effort to de-Christianize France. And, uh, and so uh, Pol Pot did this in Cambodia. He made 1975 the new year zero, and he killed anyone with glasses. He figured if you wore glasses, you could read. If you read, you knew the history, and he wanted to get rid of the history. So he killed two million people, a third of his country. So, Bill, so this- Bill, real quickly, real quickly, I have to just say this because I'm a big history buff. Sorry to interrupt you. I just have to ask you this. So are you trying to say when you're giving us this 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 history, is 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 it just repeating itself right in front of us today in 2020 in, in the United States? Is that what you're trying to, to share with us, that this is all, all of this has happened before? It's just now we're seeing it played out again? Yes. Yeah. So there's two layers of issues. One is the issue of racism. Racism is wrong. We condemn it. It's evil. Um, you, Jesus made, uh, you know, said, that um, you know, you you love whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren. You do unto me. You forgive, uh, and we're all made in the image of God, right? Black, white, yellow, red, whatever color. We're all made in the image of God. So God says there's no respect of persons in judgment. Uh, so racism, you're judging people based on their race. It's evil. It's sin. But there's another layer, and the that other layer is those that want to overthrow the country and go back to a king top down form of government with a with a with a globalist dictator on the top. Now, uh, a little background. So you have World War II ends, and Britain gives independence to all of its former colonies. And France gives independence. And the Germany's colonies are taken away. It had some colonies in Africa and so forth. And now these colonies are now brand new countries. Isn't it a wonderful world? Except for the Soviet Union, they begin to want to export communism. And so they would send KGB agents into these countries and find people who have grievances, the more legitimate the grievances, the better, people that have been wronged and hurt and been treated bad. And of course, they just came through a world war, so there's a lot of hurting people. And they would go in and uh, identify these people with grievances and begin to organize them, and then begin to stage protests, and then riots, and then begin to smash build windows and buildings and cause all kinds of crime. And then they co-opted the media with bribes and threats to blame the current leader for all of these problems. And then they would nurture relationships within the military. And when the the country got to a fevered pitch, they would do a a house arrest of the leader, a coup, a rigged election. They would then install a Soviet puppet. Everybody would be relieved that all this random violence had stopped. But then when the dust settles, they just found out they gave away the farm and they became a a satellite of the Soviet Union and they, they don't have any freedom. And so the Soviets did this in Hungary, in um, Romania, uh, in Syria. And um, and then we have Truman, and he stands back and does nothing. He says, oh, the United Nations is going to bring world peace, and uh, it didn't work. And so Eisenhower decides we need to fight fire with fire. 
And so the CIA has um, uh, these similar KGB tactics. And the first instance is Iran. Iran had a leader, Mossadegh, who was aligning with the Soviet Union, and he nationalizes the oil industry in Iran. And you think, what's that? Britain, Winston Churchill, changed the British Navy from coal to oil. There's only one oil well in England, and so Britain needs oil. So they start a company in 1908. It's called the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. You know it better as BP. BP, British Petroleum, is the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. And when Mossadegh nationalized it and took it away from the Brits, Britain has no oil. And so they go to Eisenhower, say help. So Eisenhower sends over, uh, he has John Foster Dulles, the Secretary of State, approves the first CIA operation to overthrow a country's leader. It's called Operation Ajax. And they send over a CIA operative named Kermit Roosevelt Jr., the grandson of Teddy Roosevelt. He goes into Tehran and he recruits the most feared mobsters and criminals and gangsters. He recruits the radical imams. They begin to stage riots and protests and begin to attack mosques. And then they co-opt the media uh, to blame Mossadegh for all these problems. And then they nurtured relationships with people within the military. And then when it reached a fevered pitch, they put Mossadegh under house arrest, lock him away from the rest of his life where he dies, and they install the Shah of Iran who loved America. We did the same thing in Guatemala in 1954, the Congo 1960, and you know even Chile 1973. Well, the, the KGB didn't sit back. They did the same thing. They, there's pictures of Brezhnev with Yasser Arafat helping him to start the PLO and pictures of Brezhnev with Castro helping him to take over Cuba. And they're helping taking over countries. This is called the Cold War. And it's the subject of every spy novel. You go to a third world country, and what do you find? The Russians, the KGB, and then you find the CIA. And what are they trying to do? An assassination. And, and the only difference this time around is it's happening on our own soil. Right? So you have pallets of bricks dropped off wherever they're going to have a riot. It's like, I think somebody's planning this. It's not a spontaneous thing. And uh, then, uh, you know, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, originally, and 30 minutes from Ferguson, been to Ferguson lots and lots of times. 99% of the people riding in Ferguson, Missouri, were not from Ferguson, Missouri. They were brought in by Moore, M-O-R-E, Missourians Organizing for Reform and Empowerment. And you can look on Google, George Soros gave $33 million to Moore. And they had planning and training in uh, inner city churches where they would... um, train them how to lock arms and block highways, and then um, how to give emotional speeches when the camera is in your face. And they'd said, yes, the the people and policemen are in front of you, but your audience is the country, and you want to stir this up. And and after they rioted, they were promised $5,000 per person for rioting, and they they weren't paid. So they went to the Moore headquarters and took it over, and they started a hashtag cut the check campaign, and it gained local news attention in St. Louis, and the city council addressed it, and Then they hurried up and paid them off before it went national. Uh, But it was a -a rent-a-mob. And they moved the same people to Milwaukee, to Baltimore, to Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, so you cause these disturbances. And, and, you know, we do know there are people in the Department of Justice that do not like the current president. People in the FBI that do not like the current president. They've been trying to do all kinds of stuff. So this has all the telltale signs. So there is the issue of racism. But... You have this 50-year practice of going into countries, finding those that have very emotionally charged issues and, and uh, 
taking that emotion and channeling it to destabilize the country so that you can do a, a change in the leadership. And um, anyway, the, Brit the British did this. This is how they took over India. They would come in to one kingdom, give them guns, another kingdom, give them guns. And then when they began to fight each other, the British would take over. They took over all of India, a quarter of the world's population. Um, by, and they tried doing this during the revolution because they'd go to the Indians and have them scalp the Americans on the frontiers. So you want to find groups and then you, you mobilize them. But anyway, I think that the, the 16 minutes session of, of this one's winding up. So I'll pause. Yeah. Well, we've still got about uh, eight or 10 minutes. So Bill Federer is our guest on take two with Jerry and Debbie. We are at the uh, time of year where we celebrate America's independence. And this is, is, this is going to be, it's not questioned, but it's going to be an Independence Day unlike any in probably all of our lifetime in recent memory. And Bill is sharing with us some fascinating details about how what is going on in our country is nothing new. It's, it's kind of like you, you hear some people call it the playbook, and, and we're, we're certainly uh, have, have good reason to be concerned. But, Bill, I think where we want to kind of go in these final minutes is, you know, for all, for, for all of us in this country who, who want to love our country and be patriotic and be American um, and, and you love our nation moving forward. Um, what, what does that look like for us, you know, um, uh, you, you America loving people, flag waving people moving forward and, and, you know, trying to make a difference and maybe trying to, you know, uh, I don't know if there's any way to stop what's going on right now, but how do we, how do we go forward from here? Right. Well, uh, we repent, um, you know, Deuteronomy chapter 28 has blessings and cursings. It says, it's a, if a nation hearkens to the voice of the Lord, they'll be above, not beneath, head, not the tail. It says, if a nation does not hearken to the voice of the Lord, it says all these bad things will happen and the stranger will come in amongst them, rise up above them and they'll be the head and you'll be the tail. Um, you'll have to borrow from them. You'll have plagues come in. And so how did God judge ancient Israel when they sinned? He let them get overrun by the Amalekites, Hittites, Moabites, termites, mosquito bites, parasites, anyway, until it got really, really bad. Then they repented and they, God sent a deliverer. So he deals with individuals, but he deals with, with nations. And, um, but also I think it's important for us to get our identity back. And so I, I have some stories of people from the revolution that um, there's stories that people may not have heard of. And one is the, the women's role in the revolutionary war. And uh, so you had camp followers. What was that? Well, like, the army didn't have logistics. It didn't have ambulances and medics. It had women that followed. And so they were called camp followers. They'd bring their kids and their families and um, they would scavenge for food. They would cook the food. They would wash the clothes. They would form sewing circles. They would mend the uniforms. They'd sew blankets and they cared for the sick and dying soldiers. This continued all the way through the civil war with Clara Barton, a school teacher. And here she is forming the American Red Cross even goes down to the Spanish-American War in Cuba. And so the women did all this. At the Valley Forge, you had 25 soldiers die of dysentery and freezing. Well, 500 women died at Valley Forge. Uh, there's a, a lady that described Martha Washington because she organized these camp followers and says, um, I never in my life saw a woman so busy from early morning to late at night as Lady Washington providing for the, condition, the, uh, the comforts of the sick soldiers. Ben Franklin's daughter, Sarah Franklin Bach, uh, she organized the Ladies of Philadelphia that raised $300,000 for the American troops. Uh, and then you have the Spanish in Cuba. The ladies give money to George Washington. You say, what? Well, I got to hear this story. So uh, France decides to join the war. Believe it or not, Spain decides to join the war. 
And um, so the, the French ships are going first to, the, to Cuba before they come to George Washington at Yorktown. And they stop off in Cuba and they let the need be known that George Washington is running out of money to fight the revolution. And so the uh, ladies of Havana contribute their gold, their silver, their jewelry. And it's organized all across Cuba from Matanas to Pinar del Rio. They, they give an equivalent of $28 million and they give this to the French who takes it to George Washington, and they have a, a note with their gift. It says, so the American mother's sons are not born as slaves. And so when uh, Marquis de Lafayette arrives with his ship, uh, the, uh, they give it to George Washington, who reportedly threw his hat in the air, which was uncharacteristic of him to do that. And French General Rochambeau uh, writes in his, uh, it's in the Library of Congress, it says, the joy was enormous when it was received. The money from Havana, the contribution of 800,000 pounds of silver helped stop the financial bankruptcy of the Revolutionary Army, raised the morale of the, the troops. And so here uh, you had the um, U.S. ambassador to Cuba a few years ago, Stephen Bonsell. He says, the millions that was supplied by the ladies of Havana may in truth be regarded as the bottom dollars upon which the edifice of American independence was erected. The contribution of the Cuban women by way of their jewelry could very well be called upon um, uh, the foundation upon which was founded the freedom of the United States. And uh, so who would have thought Spanish women of Cuba helped us to become an independent nation? Um, and then uh, there's stories of uh, Molly Pitcher. Do I have time to share another one? Uh, b briefly, yes. And then we, we want to make sure we uh, let our listeners know where they can find you and a little bit more about you personally. But go ahead. Go ahead, Bill, real quickly. So uh, the camp followers, the women, one was Molly Pitcher. And lo and behold, the women would bring water to the soldiers on the battlefield. They're dug in. Right. And so one of them was Molly Pitcher. Her husband was manning a cannon. Well, he faints of heat stroke. It's over 100 degrees. She puts down her pitcher of water and she goes and starts loading the cannon. And she fights the rest of the battle, loading the cannon. And George Washington even gives her a commendation. And there's a U.S. postage stamp with Molly Pitcher with the ramrod loading the cannon. And um, at one point, um, it was reported that uh, she had reached, stepped forward to pick up a cartridge to, and, uh, uh, to put in the cannon. And a cannonball from the British went right between her legs, tore off the bottom of her petticoat. And she stood up and said, well, that could have been worse. And she got back to loading the cannon. Soldier Joseph Plum Martin wrote, a woman whose husband belonged to the artillery and who was attached to the peace and of engagement attended with her husband uh, when in the act of reaching a cartridge, having one of her feet as far before the others as she could step, a cannon shot from the enemy passed directly between her legs without doing any other damage than tearing away the lower part of her petticoat. Um, looking at it with apparent unconcern, she observed that it was lucky it did not pass a little higher, for in that case, it might have carried away something else, and she continued her occupation. Anyway, just a courageous story of wow. Molly Pitcher, Sergeant Molly. Well, you know, Bill, if if we can, if, if it's okay with you, we would love to have you back. Maybe do, a, um, Jerry, what do you think, a, another special broadcast on, on brave women in history? I think it would be fascinating for mm -hmm. all of us to hear these stories. Um, and, and it would be, it would be great, uh, Bill. So very much if you could do that, but I just wanted to uh, alert our listeners, um, because they're going to, they heard you today and it's made a difference. I know it's made a difference, um, listening to you, Jerry, and I feel the same way. We were kind of instant messaging each 
other back and forth going, wow, this is a great, incredible history lesson and we should learn from this. And I know others feel that way. So if you want to learn more about Bill and um, his work and what he's doing, please go to AmericanMinute.com. And Bill, I mean, I just want to be the first one to thank you so very much for being with us on this special broadcast for Independence Day. We've got to learn. And, and my takeaway is, like you said, you know, learn from history, see how it's repeating. And then I, I, I just i am so grateful to you that you used um, the word repent. And that is key. And I hope our listeners, that's, that's their takeaway as well. Jerry? No, I agree. I agree. I am reminded of that Bible passage. You may have even referenced this, Bill. You know, if my people will humble themselves and turn from their sin, you know, turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. And that seems to be uh, kind of the uh, the game plan going forward for us right now. But uh, anyway, yeah, Bill, any last uh, quick uh, 30 seconds uh, thoughts from you on, on all of that you presented today? Yeah, well, you know, uh, God has plan A and plan B. Uh Plan A is he blesses us so much we turn to him out of gratefulness. If that doesn't work, there is plan B. Uh, he withholds the blessings and we turn to him out of desperation. Mm. Right? He wants us to turn to him, but he's given us free will, so he doesn't force us to turn to him. Right? Love must be voluntary. And so he loves us. He wants us to love him back, but he can't force us to love him. Uh, and so uh, anyway, uh, you know, one uh, little quote from Abigail Adams, she's writing to John Adams during the revolution. She said, I dare not express to you at 300 miles distance how ardently I long for your return. And whether the end be tragical, heaven only knows you cannot be, nor do I wish to see you be an inactive spectator. But if the sword be drawn, I bid adieu to all domestic felicity and look forward to that country where there mm. are neither wars nor rumors of wars in firm belief that through the mercy of its king, we shall both rejoice there together. Your most affectionate, Abigail. Wow. Great note to end the program on, Bill Federer. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate that. And as Debbie said, I, we would love to welcome you back sometime if you would be open to that. So thank you so much for sharing Thanks, all Jerry. of Thanks, you. Yeah, thank you for all that you shared with us. Um, William Federer, Bill Federer. Again, you will find him at AmericanMinute.com, right, Debbie? AmericanMinute.com. That is correct. Thank okay. you again, Good. Bill. And, and we want to wish all of the Take Two family uh, just a, an, an amazing Independence Day. Thank you for being with us on this special broadcast. We'll be back live next week. So new shows for the entire week. Until then, have a beautiful and blessed weekend. See you real soon.